after it. She said, no, really, man, I need you to come. At least, at least come fill in for me. Uh, it, it's just too, it's too late, you know, it's before Sunday, and this is like on Friday. And, and, and he said, at least just come. My every, every, God, I'm telling you, the devil didn't want me to come. Every car I owned tore up. Trans, or the, the, the radiator went out in my car, and uh, I left the motor from my 79 Ford four-wheel drive somewhere 50 miles from my house, and there's parts all over the road. And I thought, this ain't happening. He said, rent a car. Would you please come? He said, matter of fact, if you come, I'll take you coon hunting. I said, I'm in. <laughs> I'll be there. Amen. And we went that night, did we not? We went that night, had a big time. And uh, <clears throat> you're going to hear a story. You're going to hear a story of failure. You're going to hear a story of restoration. How many of y'all have ever made a mistake? How many of y'all have ever made a big one? How many of y'all are glad God still loves you and he'll still use you? And I, I, I'm not going to tell his story. I'll let him do that. But I want y'all to give uh, uh, Brother Jeff Robertson a good old-fashioned Temple Baptist welcome. Let him know you're glad he's here today. Amen. Come on. Man, I'm glad to be here. I, uh, I remember the first time I seen Brother Carr. We, uh, we pulled in the church parking lot, and he was standing there. I told my wife, I said, ah, he's too young. Man. I, I, I mean, it, we, we were really scraping the bottom of the barrel. He's not kidding about that. At that point, we were taking anybody. But no, <laughs> seriously, though, we, we, the pulpit committee was really looking for somebody a little bit older. My brother started the church when he was 24 years old in the Civic Center. And so we would... We'd had him as a pastor, a really young guy. Then the next guy was a really young guy. And so we were looking for maybe a little more seasoned pastor that we thought could take us to, well, God had different plans for us. Looks like it worked out, huh? Yeah. And, uh, and uh, listen, he, he said, though, he gave that same introduction for me, the two previous services. And I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I know he's being honest. I, I really, I know that he says that from his heart. But that means a lot to me for him to say the things he said about me. And I just want to say that. I probably should have said it in the other two services. But I have one non-family member on my speed dial on my phone. And it's Brother Carter. And it's not because he's my pastor either. It's because he's my friend. And uh, I'm very grateful for him. He's been a good friend to me through some difficult times. Uh, take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 26. Have you, have you ever, he asked you this question, but disappointment. It's uh, it's a disappointing thing, isn't it? I've lost my handkerchief. Here it is. Probably going to need it. Uh, it. It's very disappointing that disappointment is. Um, when I th when I think about disappointment, and one of the things for some reason, the first thing that popped into my mind when I started kind of thinking about the topic and what I was going to do was that picture of Tim Tebow crying after the the 2009 SEC championship. And I say that, and I kind of poked at preacher and said I was going to put that picture up there. But, but I don't really get any enjoyment out of that because that was, that was a bad deal. I was, I'm an Alabama fan. I was glad they won. But I felt bad for Tebow because I know that his life and his passion and he loves it and it was important to him. And I don't get enjoyment out of seeing somebody disappointed like that. Uh, that's pretty bad. But we, we've all had disappointments. Maybe a job didn't work out. Maybe you had your heart set on this particular job, a promotion, and, and somebody else got it. You know, it just didn't go the way it was supposed to. Or, or maybe you had a home picked out and uh, 
the, the mortgage didn't get approved or for some reason or another somebody bought it before you. It, those are disappointing things. But I'm, I'm not talking about that kind of disappointment this morning. I've lost football games. You know, that's not the kind of disappointment I'm talking about. I'm talking about crippling, life-changing disappointment. Now, look at Matthew with me if you can. Matthew chapter 26, verse 69 says, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, uh, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him, that they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us in this service. It's been an exciting day. It's been a very uh, important day for me to discuss some of the things I've talked about in the two previous services. But Lord, I pray that you'd help me to, to focus on this service and these folks. And Lord, I know that there could be somebody in here this morning who needs encouragement, who needs help. And, and I ask you this morning to help me to say what would be an encouragement. Help me to leave out the things I should leave out and say exactly what you would have me to say. And I ask you, Lord, to use me to be a blessing to someone. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when you look at Peter's life, it, it, was, a, it was a pretty exciting life. You know, he, he's mending his nets and fishing and doing his thing one day, and here comes Jesus and personally calls him to follow him. Now, we've all been uh, drawn by the Holy Spirit to, uh, to salvation, but man, that'd be, that'd be something else, to have Jesus himself come up and say, hey, you buddy, come with me. He went from there, he seen Jesus baptized. Now, now think about this, Peter witnessed Jesus in the water, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, and he heard the voice of the Father in heaven. That's a pretty incredible thing. He, he, he got a, about as close to a visual of the Trinity as you can get. Peter was there, that's, that's incredible. From there, Peter seen the water turn to wine, and he's seen every single miracle after that. That's something else, isn't it? Do, do you realize now, if I understand this correctly, I wasn't there, so let me say, don't, don't fact check me here, okay? But from what I understand, the way that they embalmed a person in the Old Testament, or in the, in the New Testament period, was they literally removed their organs. They cut them open, took their organs out, soaked cloth and, and, and fur, uh, frankincense and myrrh and some of those ointments and stuffed the body and sewed it back up so that they could have a, a viewing and keep the smell down. On the fourth day, your body starts to, to uh, rigor mortis starts to sit in, corruption starts to sit in. Peter witnessed Jesus call Lazarus out of the grave with no innards and corruption already setting in. That wasn't a trick. You follow what I'm saying? That, that wasn't a parlor trick that Jesus pulled off there. That was serious business. 
Peter sees this. He watches this with his own eyes. What about this? Peter walked on water. Now, I understand that he sank, but he walked further on water than I did or ever will do. What a life Peter lived to get to that point and deny Christ. My family got it, uh, moved to Little Rock, Arkansas. My son asked me how I was going to tell this story last night. I said, well, I'm going to start off with I was born at a very young age. <laughs> it's going to be a long story. No, uh, But my family, when I was, uh, I don't know, probably two years old, moved to Little Rock, Arkansas. And, and providence, the providence of God is, is, is an amazing thing. When my parents, my mom and dad were Christians, and when we moved there, uh, I, I don't know, I, I don't remember, that was before I remember, but I remember when we were living there, my parents were Christians, we just weren't real steady in church. We'd go here and there, and, but this guy at a community sports park where my brother played football, played little league football, he was another one of the coaches, and he started inviting my dad to church. Hey, why don't you come to church with me? Stays on it. So finally one day my dad agrees, okay, we'll go to church with you. So we load up and go to church. I can barely remember this. But I do remember this. I remember my dad being mad in the car on the way home. I don't know what happened. This preacher bowed him up. I think he preached against going to the horse races or something. My dad liked going to the horse races in hot springs. But he was mad. Anyway, I ain't ever going back to that church again. That preacher's meddling in my business. So <laughs> a couple weeks later, we're getting ready to go back to church. We go to this old church, and it was kind of a, kind of a dead church, for lack of a better term. I don't know how to say that and be politically correct. But we pull into the parking lot of this church we've been going to. And they're good people. Just, just. My dad says, you know, well, let's go back over and try that church one more time. And I think really it had to do with the fact that he liked, this guy was a buddy of his that had been inviting him. And he wanted to go back over there. Well, I don't think we've ever missed a service since. Okay? Uh, something about it, man. And I mentioned the most important amazing thing about it to me is at four years old five years old I, I didn't have any idea how significant that some of the changes in my home were at the time but looking back as an adult now I see it was amazing my dad there wasn't beer in the refrigerator anymore my dad's not sitting in his recliner drinking a Budweiser now he's sitting in his recliner reading his Bible you know and this is the changes that I've seen my mom's dress changed her appearance it's funny, this is a true story. I can show you pictures how over a period of time my dad's hair got shorter and shorter and shorter. And it wasn't just a style thing. It was just where God was working in my dad's life and some things were changing and their, their, their standards and their, these things changed. And I watched this and I can really see it looking back on it. My, my brother at 13, my older brother at 13 years old, he surrendered to preach. So, and my parents took it very serious. It was, it was, it was serious business. Uh, as a 16, 17-year-old kid, he was preaching week-long revivals at church around Arkansas, and, 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 and it was sort of like a child prodigy. I don't know what happened to him, but it didn't work out for him. <laughs> he's still pastoring, but he's, the child prodigy thing didn't work out. <laughs> he's still about as smart as he was when he was 16. Um, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I hope he watches this. church was serious business in my house that's the point I'm trying to make grew up in a Christian school graduated from a Christian school our, our, our week went like this Sunday morning Sunday night church 
Monday and Tuesday, it was usually some kind of sporting event at the Christian school. Wednesday, church. Thursday, visitation. Friday or Saturday, youth activity. Sunday, back to church. I, told, I said in one of the earlier services, Brother Carter, I said, you, you know, revivals got kind of, kind of weak now. They're kind of sissy. They have these three-day revivals, right? We had a week. They were a week long. It was Monday through Sunday to Sunday. Am I right? We didn't, I didn't come home from school. I didn't come home from school and ask my mom, we going to church now, Mom? No, at about 5, 30, 6 o'clock, I started getting ready to go to church. I, I knew the answer to that question. We were going. And that's how I grew up. My brother goes off to Bible college and, and uh, graduates and goes to work, takes a job as a youth director at a church close to our house. And I graduate from the Christian school. I get married, and we move back here. And by this time, my brother comes back here and starts a church. Starts this church. We started in the, t- in the Civic Center. And it was a very exciting thing. It was a new work, and we were involved in it. And I remember getting off at work. And coming home, and either I would go into work late in the afternoon, and I would go knocking doors with him in the morning, or I would work in the morning, and I'd get off, and we'd go knock doors in the afternoon. So it was a lot of he and I knocking doors, inviting people to church. Hey, we started this church over the Civic Center in, uh, here in Coleman, Temple Baptist Church. We'd love to have you come visit us sometime. You have a church you go to. You have a church home. So, man, this is how we're doing it. Old school, door-to-door style, you know, the way we grew up. I told, I said, and I think this is funny, maybe some of you guys get it, I think Brother Pop gets it when I say this, he understands this, doesn't he? I loved football, I played a lot of football growing up. I had posters of Howie Long and, and, and uh, Randy White and Dan Hampton on my wall, I was a lineman, so I had a bunch of lineman posters on my wall. But my real heroes were Bob Gray from Texas and Jack Hiles from Hammond, Indiana and uh, Curtis Hudson, the editor of the Sword of the Lord. The, these were the guys that were really my hero. Did you know I used to listen to sermon tapes as I was going to sleep at night? Now, what kind of weird kid does that? <laughs> but but that's, that's the way that, that I grew up. That's how I lived. That's what my life was. And I loved it. I was in. Church. Youth activities. Church camp. Man, I went to a church camp and I... I Wire rim glass, tap water was against the rules of this church camp. I mean, but I loved it. The meaner the preachers, the better I liked him. Johnny Pope, man, I loved that guy. He's not mean, but he's funny. I loved it, man. So, I'm working in this church, helping my brother out, leading the singing. I'm the youth director. Poor Christy Mickle, Christy Pilcher, I was their youth director. I don't even know if they're in this service. They were in here earlier. I didn't even mention that. And so if there's a problem with, with some of these older kids their age, I probably contributed to it. Maybe my fault. But are you, are you with me so far? Do you understand where I'm at? you understand the kind of... I'm trying to paint a picture of you how I grew up. Well, I decided I need to go off to Bible college because I want to go to work full-time in the ministry. Well, I go, that's a whole nother sermon and an entire different story. But let me just summarize it with this. It didn't go well. Okay? So, so I come back home, and I'm a little disenchanted. You know, I, so I come back home, and I, I plug back in here at Temple Baptist Church, and my brother resigns. That's, 
that's what the Lord had for him. I mean, but, but you got to understand that it had an effect on me. I mean, my brother's a hero. He's five and a half years older than me. Thought he's the greatest thing in the world. Well, he resigns, he moves off, and here I am. We got to find another pastor. We do the best we can, get a great guy. He comes in, pastors of church for a few years. But, but I'm still kind of, kind of stung about the whole thing, how everything in general is going. So Brother Carter comes. I, I love this guy. I, I love him when he comes here. But I felt like that it was probably a good idea if we just, my family moved on, went to another church. There was too, many, too much history here, too much background here. That's the story I told him, but that wasn't really what it was. I just wanted out of here. I was tired of being the music director. I was tired of being the youth director. I was tired of having responsibilities. And most of all, I was tired of being accountable for something. So we left. Now, we stayed in church, went to another church. But I went to that church, and I became very much a contributor. You know the difference between commitment and contribution, don't you? It's like a ham and egg breakfast. The chicken makes a contribution. The hog is committed. (laughs) That's the difference. I was making contributions in church. And and there's where things begin to start. And here they go, drifting. Well, our kids start getting older. It's the craziest thing, man. You know what? And I haven't told this story in either service. But but I I want to tell you exactly what it was. I think Brother Carter knows this. I was working in the car business, working around a bunch of guys. And I'd picked up the habit of smoking. And I couldn't deal with the fact that here I am in this church. I lead to singing, man. I'm teaching Sunday school and I smoke cigarettes. But i I got to quit that. And I come down to a point where it was smoking cigarettes or staying in this church. And I chose the cigarettes. Now, how crazy is that? Let me tell you what. I would have been a lot better off just to stay here and keep smoking cigarettes. You know what I'm saying? Now, now I'm not putting my stamp of approval on smoking. I mean, you know. But you're better off to stay plugged in than to let something like that become a stumbling block for you. So here I go, moving churches, leaving, because I want to keep smoking cigarettes. And I don't want to tell Brother Carter I smoke. He figured, he found out. I think he was going through my glove box or something. So we go to another church. I'm working in Huntsville now. My kids are getting a little bit older. My oldest daughter, she's 21. She's not here. She can babysit the kids at this point. We start going to Huntsville. I'm working in Huntsville, making some friends that work there in the car business with me. And we start doing, you know, not major things, just, just a few things here. A social drink here and there. And it leads to more and more. Pretty soon, what would, what would really be the big deal if we just smoked a little joint and giggled and ate some Doritos, right? What's the big deal with that? Well, <laughs> kind of like cigarettes, but it stopped right there. It probably wouldn't have been a big deal, but it doesn't. So this thing progresses. I decide that I don't want to continue to to work and live, and I just want out of here. So we load up, move to Texas where my wife's family lives, and part of it is because I'd seen some success in the car business, been promoted up, and I wanted to go to work at a big store, at a big car dealership. So I go to work in this big store, in this big car dealership. I'm making good money, doing well. But the thing about it is, the only thing going on in Huntsville, Alabama, 
for the most part, is on Saturday night. In Dallas, there's something going on every night. If you want to get into some trouble, there's a place for you there. So we've got a child, built-in babysitter, me and my wife. We're tired of living under the constraints of church and accountability and my parents living right up the road. Now we're all the way out here. Nobody even knows we're here, where we're at, what we're doing. Here we go. Well, natural progression. Somebody introduces us to methamphetamines. It doesn't take long for me to figure out this is a bad idea, but I'm too far in. You know, I'm thinking, what's a big deal? It's just a little social thing. I'm going to try this and see what's, and it appealed to me because it's a stimulant. And I, I, I don't, if I walk by, uh, you know, if it says may make you drowsy on the bottle, if I walk by it, I, I got to take a nap, you know. So uh, that's, that's not my program. This thing really appealed to me because it gave me energy, made me go. So like anything else, it built and built and built. And I came to the realization that this, this, is, a bad, this is a bad thing. So we load the U-Haul up. Uh, man, I got a good wife. She's, if, if for nothing else, how many times she's moved across the country with me, I've got a good wife. So we load up the U-Haul, move back to Alabama. The problem is I, I left a lot of that lifestyle, but that drug addiction crawled up in that U-Haul and rode back with me. I couldn't leave that there. So we get back to Alabama, and, 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 and you know, and I hope nobody here knows anything about this, but... Normal people can't fund a drug addiction. Does that make sense? That's why people steal your four-wheelers and your TVs and your cars because they're, they're, they're addicted. they got a problem, and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to pay for that, that addiction. And I, I made pretty good money. I, I did pretty well, but I still couldn't. But I'm not going to steal somebody's TV. That's just not my MO. So I came up with the grand idea is I'll sell a little bit to pay for my own habit. What a grand idea, huh? And I'm a salesman. That's what I do. I know people in Texas. I've got a few connections and stuff's cheaper out there the further west you move. I don't, I don't know how, why that is, but it's just how it is. So we make a trip out there. I pick some up, bring it back, sell it to the guy, keep some for myself. I make money. That worked out pretty well. Never been in trouble. I don't have any kind of record. Got a good driver's license. Got a good car. If I get stopped on the side of the interstate, they're never going to say a word to me. They're going to write me a ticket or let me go, one or the other. I'm a citizen. Right? Well, that's how it worked. It went well. Until March 2005 when the DEA and the ATF and the local drug task force kicked my back door in. Then it started going pretty bad. That was not a good day at the Robertson house. Now, do you see... where this story went, how I grew up, what kind of life I had, and where I'm at now. I'm sitting on, do you know how big a 45 is when you're looking down the barrel of it and the guy's not playing around? It's big. So here I am. We get indicted. I get indicted in January of 2006. June of 2006, I go for my sentencing. Of course, I plead guilty. They've got me. And I deal in months and, and, and because 
I'm in the car business, so I'm constantly dealing in, in 48, 54, 60, 66, 72 months. You know, I know I, Rob's talking about I know 72 months is six years because I deal in, in car loans, you know. So I'm standing there in court. He goes to sentence me, and he says, 84 months. And I can't do that one because we don't do a whole lot of 84-month terms on cost. This, that's all on a car loan. I said, did he say that's seven years? And the attorney said, yeah, shut up. <laughs> that's a long time. This guy just sentenced me to 84 months in federal prison. Does he not know this is my first offense? I've, I've got a wife and I've got three kids. I'm a good guy. I didn't, wait a minute. Hold on. I grew up in a Christian home. I, I graduated. Do you, start, do you know I graduated from a Christian school? Wait a minute. Before you give me that 84 months. Didn't matter. There I was. Now, here's the thing. I remember the day I self-surrendered to prison. They let me go and turn myself in. I remember going in, and, and it, it wasn't so bad. I've been in rougher vacation Bible schools in this place. It really wasn't that bad. I, I mean, it's not like MSN lockup. It wasn't like that. It, 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 you know, it was a minimum security type situation. But it's still away from your family, still away from your loved ones. And I remember, you know, you go around and get introduced to a few people. Some people, there's a guy in the second service here that I was at Talladega with, and he was from Colvin, and he comes in. And he's a good Christian guy. He comes, introduces himself to me, helps me out. He's, so I'm thinking, all right, this is all right. But boy, when I laid down in that bed that night and they turned those lights off, I wept bitterly. I cannot describe to you what I felt when those lights went off. And I'm laying there in that bunk all by myself. And I'm not, I don't have my wife to elbow or. I can't, I, there's no way I don't possess the verbal skills to tell you what I felt right then. But I can tell you this, I wept bitterly. Not because I was in prison, but because of the disappointment in my life. How that everything had gone so fast to nothing. It was amazing the downward spiral that my life had become in such a quick record-setting time. So my question is what caused this great disappointment in my life and Peter's life? Well, Peter wept bitterly and he thought about, what did I just do? I just denied the guy that I've seen, all that I've seen. He's the literal, actual son of God and I know he is. I told him he was. When he asked, who do men say I am? Peter's the one that said, thou art the son of God. He said, and I just denied him. How could I have done that? When they shut those lights off that night in federal prison and I thought back over my life, I thought, how in the world have I got myself in this situation? What caused this? Well, I think one thing that may have caused it was apathy. I think, you know, you're surrounded by church, and Christianity, good mom and dad. I mean, Listen, I grew up in the Cleaver household. You guys don't even know who the Cleavers are. It's just amazing how many people in here don't even know who the Believe It to Beaver is. I'm getting old, too. I grew up in a, the, the, the model home. But I started to take it for granted. Church and people getting saved and great church meetings and youth camp and all of this stuff. It just became so 
redundant for me. I appreciated it. I liked it. I didn't have a bad spirit. That's the thing you got to understand about me. Man, I can honestly stand right here and tell you I was a good kid. Never got in trouble. Made good grades. Played sports. Was nice to less fortunate kids and, you know, all of that. Had a bus route. I remember one, I remember one time this church we went to in Arkansas, they had this bus route in an area that they really, really didn't want those kids necessarily coming to church. Now, you'll have to put two and two together. It was a rough neighborhood. Well, they messed up and gave that bus route to some teen, me and a couple of other teenagers. We had 80 people at church the next Sunday on that bus route. You talk about hot, man. They were mad. That, that, that pretty much split that church. But uh, So this is, you know, I've been around a lot of great stuff, and I think I just got, I just got apathetic to it. Possibly Peter did that too. You know, you're, I'm reminded of the story of the lady that, that came and, and uh, Mary of Bethany and she broke the alabaster box on Jesus and, and, and they got on to her for that. Maybe it's because they'd seen so many great works that this simple form of worship wasn't good enough for them anymore. But as, as, as serious of an issue as I think apathy is and a contributing thing, I really believe that it is, I don't think that's what caused my great disappointment or Peter's. I think one that quite possibly could have been it is arrogance. You know, I see Peter, man. Peter's a fisherman, a tough guy. Don't you kind of see Peter as being a tough guy when you read about some of the, some of the stories about Peter? I'm sure he dealt with some arrogance. When you think about, again, and I know it's redundant, I keep saying it, but when you see everything that Peter had seen and been through and done, you know, he had to be a little bit arrogant. I mean, he was in the inner circle. He was Jesus, one of Jesus' right-hand guys, right? You can say I could be a little bit arrogant. Look at this picture right here. That was 2004. Do you think that there's any way possible you could have convinced that guy right there he was fixing to go to federal prison for 84 months? Not a chance. He knew too much. He was too smart. There's some of you sitting here right now. You got good jobs. You got a nice wife. She's a, in the ladies' auxiliary club. You're in the Lions club. You come to church at Temple on Sunday mornings. You got it all figured out. You're members at the country club. You got two nice cars and 2.5 lovely children. I couldn't tell you nothing right now. You think I'm an idiot. And you're right, I am. To mess that right there up, I'm an idiot. But the thing is, I used to be sitting right where you're at. And I would have had the same attitude about me that you do right now. Because I was too smart for something like that to ever happen to me. So where are you sitting right now? I, I was the youth director and the music director at the church. You see that? We have, two, we have a dog and a cat. You see the dog and the cat? Maybe you missed the cat. But lovely cat. Arrogance. Certainly. Certainly played a part in it. I really don't think that was it, though. As arrogant as Peter was. When Jesus told him that he was going to deny him, you remember how mad Peter got? I would never do that. I would die before I would deny you. Remember how arrogant he got about that? I still don't think that's what caused it. Maybe he contributed to it, but I don't think that was the real cause of it. 
Maybe it was the aloofness. Do you remember how Peter was following afar off? What the scripture says. If Peter had been up there with Jesus, standing beside him, he wouldn't have had the opportunity to deny him because everybody would have known exactly who he was with. My brother asked me the question one day after I've already been I've already been through sentencing and I'm waiting to self-surrender and I've got a little bit of time in my family. We're, I think I had like 60 days or something like that before I had to self-surrender. So that, that was, you know, let's spend some time with the family thing. My brother's in town. By this time, he's pastoring a church now in Jacksonville, Florida area. And he was in town. We're riding up the road. And I, for some reason, I'm thinking in my mind, we might have been right out here in front of the church. I know we were coming up 157. He said, man, what happened? He said, you know, I've never said much to you about this. I've always just tried to be here for you. When you wanted to talk, I was here. And he, he's great. Best friend I got in the whole world. Besides Brother Carter. <laughs> he said, but i got to ask you, man, how did this happen? I said, well, I said, you know all those sermon illustrations we heard about when we were kids growing up? All the stories we heard about how that, you know, it starts off small and it gets bigger and bigger. I said, just like that. Exactly like that. I said, it started off my relationship with God began to suffer. I didn't read my Bible and pray like I should. The next thing that happened is, is I, I remembered I, I started doing well in, in the car business and got some promotions and I had to work on Wednesday night. Can't go to church. I'm providentially hindered. You like that, don't you? You know what? Maybe you ought to quit that job. You can't come to church on Wednesday night. What's more important to you? Now, that sounds harsh, but that's coming from a guy who just did 84 months in prison because of stupid decisions. And had I quit a job so that I didn't have to miss church, I probably would have had my priorities in line to the degree that I would never have to worry about going to prison for 84 months. So, I start missing church on Wednesday night. This is crazy. I counted the Sunday school. Go around all the Sunday school classes and count. <laughs> Because of that, I was able to slip out of Sunday school. Didn't have to go to Sunday school. So now, I'm beating them out of Wednesday night. I'm skipping Sunday school. You see? Just a little bit at a time. Stop reading my Bible and praying like I should. I'm making contributions, but I'm not committed. Well, then I begin to ask questions like, what, would it really be a big deal if? And that's when some of those things started to downwardly spiral. But it was real simple. I was just aloof. I just followed afar off. Now, could that have been what have caused this great disappointment? I think it contributed to this great disappointment. But I don't think that was the cause of it. I think the cause of it was very simple. Ignorance. Just plain ignorance. Not, not in the sense that you're an idiot, although that, that's true too. It just didn't start with an A. So, um, But I mean ignorance from the standpoint of really just not knowing. The definition of ignorance is, is to not be educated, to not know something, to see something the wrong way. Let's look at Peter. P Peter said, you look over in Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 18. And verse 32 says, For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated, and 
spit it on. This is talking about Jesus. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. In Matthew 16, verse 22, Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. You see, Peter had no clue what the real situation was, what the real program was. You see, Peter was thinking he wanted to be vindicated. He, he wanted Jesus to take the sword out and whip these Romans. I mean, that's obvious. Peter wasn't trying to cut that guy's ears off. He was trying to cut his head off and the guy ducked. Okay? Peter wanted to fight. He wanted to, to be vindicated from the, from the wrath of the Romans, from that, that embondagement of the Romans. He wanted to whip them and show them, we're the nation of Israel. We're the greatest nation ever. We're God's chosen people. He wanted to show that to the Romans. And then the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, he wanted to be vindicated with them so that he could say, hey, this Jesus that we worship, he is the Son of God. This is the right way. You guys are wrong. He is the Messiah. And I'm his right-hand man. That's what Peter was looking for. Then when Jesus told him, I'm going to go and die on a cross because Jesus was more interested in gaining victory over sin than he was about being vindicated. And you see, Peter didn't understand God's program and Jesus' program. He was more interested in his own program. So he was ignorant to the plan that Jesus had. I thought it was all about buildings and ministries, and bus routes, and how many people you had sitting in church, and how big a church you had, and really how big your house was, and what kind of cars you drove, and what your W-2 was, and how much money you made. I thought these were the things that mattered. These temporal things were what was important to me. I lost track of what really mattered. I was ignorant to what really, really mattered. The only thing that matters are things that are eternal. Things that are going to make a difference in eternity. That's all that matters. The temporal things should only contribute to help you to be able to obtain eternal things and eternal goals. Now, do you have to eat so that you can honor God? Of course you do. So you have to have a job. Man, it's not willing to fit to work. It's not, not willing to work. It's not fit to eat. So you got to work. you got to have a job. But that is only so that you can fulfill something that's going to affect eternity. And when temporal things start getting in the way of eternal things, the temporal things have to go. It's all about priorities. It's all about getting an understanding of what really matters. Let me tell you this. Had I got my mind wrapped around the fact that it was all about worshiping and honoring a holy God that gave his son to die and pay my sin debt, you can bet I would never have had to worry about going to federal prison. So I had my head messed up about what really mattered. Now, there's two groups of people in here today. There are those of you who've never messed up. You've never had any great disappointment. And God bless you. I'm glad for you. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to mess your life up and go to federal prison to come back and tell a story like this. You're better off to never have this story to tell. So keep going where you're going and doing what you're doing. But let me warn you about a couple of things. First of all, be careful. And when I say be careful, I mean be caring. 
don't, don't become apathetic. These people that come down to this altar and get saved, don't get used to it. These sermons that we hear every Sunday by a great man that loves God, don't get used to those. Because trust me, I just did 67 long, grueling months listening to people who couldn't preach their way out of a wet paper bag. They couldn't beat the cream out of a Twinkie with a hammer. So don't get, don't get apathetic to what you have here. Be caring. Be caring. And listen, I, I know that this is a difficult thing, especially for us guys, but be humble. I, I know there's guys sitting here this morning, you're sitting out there, and, and you've got a pretty good life, and you've, you've put together a, a good 401k and a good retirement in front of you, and things are going well. Don't, don't, don't get arrogant. Because pride comes before a fall. Trust me on this. And be close. Don't let distance come between you and God. Don't Keep your sin accounts very short. Stay close to God. Because if Peter had been right there with Jesus, he would have never denied him. Had I stayed close to God in my relationship, there's no way I would have ever considered letting some of the things come in that I eventually let come into my life. Also, be educated. Understand. Get your mind wrapped around what really matters. It's about worshiping a holy God. It's about honoring the Lord. That's why we're here. We are not here to build a new building, to have more people come, to, to, to start a new bus route, to take your New Testament, lead somebody to Christ so you can go back and put their name on a card. Uh, and listen, I'm not belittling those things. Those are great things, but those things are the byproducts of honoring a holy God. Those are the things that come from worshiping God and keeping things in the proper order. That's how he blesses you. You don't put those things first. So that's one group. Those of you that have not messed up. And listen, I, I encourage you this morning to make sure that you're careful you don't mess up. But now there's another group that's in here this morning. And that would be those who have had some issues. You've had some disappointments in your life. Things haven't gone textbook and exactly the way they're supposed to go. So what do you do? Well, let's look at Peter real quick. And this is in closing. I'm, I'm nearly done. Peter's given up. Gone back to fishing. Comes in from a miserable day of fishing and who's standing on the shore? Having a fish fry for him. Listen, you got to keep something in mind. It doesn't matter how far you've gone, how bad it's been, what you've done, or how long you've been doing it. He will meet you on the shore of your troubled life. You see, this picture here, that's 2012. A lot of stuff happened between that other picture and this picture. I can tell you some, some, some brutal stuff. I got a son. Never seen him play a high school football game. I was in prison. My oldest daughter was salutatory for high school. I didn't see her graduate. Didn't hear her speech. I couldn't be there. You know how much a little girl grows up from 6 to 12 years old? A lot. bad deal but guess what 
You can put it back together. Do you know what the odds are that those people would all still be together after that? Very, very slim. Grace, grace. God's grace. Grace, it is greater than all my sin. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how bad things have gotten in your life. If you'll come down to this altar right here this morning, God will meet you here. And he will help you start to put back the broken pieces of your life. It doesn't matter where you're at, what you've been through. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for these people listening to me this morning. I pray that you'd bless them. I don't think there's any question. There's hurting people in here this morning. There's people who have experienced great disappointment. And Lord, I ask you this morning to encourage them. Come to this altar and meet you here. And Lord, those who haven't seen this type of great disappointment in their life, I ask you, Lord, to help them to continue on the route that they're going. Lord, I thank you for all of these here. I thank you for our preacher in this church. And I pray that you continue to bless it in Jesus' name. On every head bowed and every eye closed. Hey, the altars are open. Come use them. Say, preacher, I've made so many failures in my life. Come tell Jesus about it. He understands. He's here. He's waiting. He's willing. He's wanting. He's wanting to touch you. He's wanting to help you. He's wanting to, to mend you. Say, preacher, I haven't made no mistakes. Well, come and ask him to help you to keep it that way. Let's not be prideful this morning. This is an opportunity we can come and say, God, help me to stay straight. Help me to stay right. Help me to be what I'm supposed to be. These altars ought to be full of people. Say, so, oh, it could never happen to me. Jeff was leading the singing in this church. He was the song leader in this church when I came. Don't ever think it can't happen to you. Don't think you're beyond it. Don't think you're too good. Don't think you know more. Don't think it can never happen to you. Oh, what's God dealing with you about today? Listen, Jesus is here. There are so many people in this room right now, you're at a crossroads in your life. You're at a crossroads. You could go left or you could go right. Listen, don't miss this opportunity to do the right thing. Don't miss the opportunity to come to Christ and get the help that you need. Don't miss the opportunity to come. You may not be saved. We've got people at this altar right now that will take a Bible and show you how to be saved. You say, preacher, I need to know Christ. Come on. Come on. They're coming from everywhere. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, Miss Patty. There you go. There you go. Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you. Lord, I love you with all my heart today. I thank you for being a forgiving God. I thank you for being a changing God and a restoring God. And Lord, a receiving God. Even in our failures, even in our mistakes, even in stupid things that we've done. You've forgiven us and you've taken us and you've brought us back. God, there's people here today with problems. There's people here today with addictions. There's people here that are functioning addicts. They go to church, they go to work, but yet they're addicted. Some to alcohol, some to pain pills, some to uh, other various issues in their life. Everything looks great on the outside, but Lord, inside they're in turmoil. And Lord, they can hide it for a little while, but one day, one day, it's going to come crashing down. 
I pray today will be that day they find deliverance. I pray today that would be the day that they come to this altar and give it to you, surrender to you. Lord, take advantage of the things that we have to offer. Take advantage of the things and the ministries we have to help them. Lord, it's no shame having an addiction. It's a shame in keeping one. Lord, being prideful and stubborn and not willing to say, hey, I got a problem. Please help me. God, please don't let pride destroy people today. I pray your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing a verse of invitation. If you need to come, won't you come? Sing with us. There's people at this altar right now praying. Maybe you've got a problem that only God can solve. Come on. God is in this place. If you've got a burden, if you've got an issue, if you've got a problem, there is a God who is willing. There is a God who is able. There is a God who is ready right now to take your problem. He's right now. He's waiting to heal you and help you. He's waiting with open arms, ready to receive you today. Won't you come? Yes, amen. Sing it with us, boy. Sing it. I am desperate, desperate for, for mercy. mercy. I'm desperate for peace. I'm tired of crying I my eyes out. I'm tired of weeping bitterly. I'm tired of not being able to sleep at night. I'm tired of not having hope and joy in my life again. Oh, come to Jesus. If you're hungry, He's the bread of life. If you're thirsty, He's the living water. Listen, if your dreams have died, if your hope has died, He's the resurrection and the life. He will give you what you need. Oh, there's hope in Jesus. Won't you come? Sing another verse. They're praying. God meet the need. Sing on. And who am I to you? Do you know Him as your Savior? Oh, don't leave without knowing Him. Don't leave without knowing Him. It's too easy. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can know it today. Gifts would be pure Hallelujah. And be fit for a king. I will. Oh, will you do this? Lay it down in the altar. Are you tired of carrying it? Give it to him. Is it getting too big for you? Give it to him. He'll handle it. He'll meet the needs. Because I am desperate for mercy. I am desperate for peace. Watch this. You're the only one. one It's about him. He's the only one that can help us. He's the only one that can meet the need. I will.